based in the Midlands, John Denton's a photographer, educator and studio owner. And he's been a bit of a high flyer in his time, as he's about to explain. Hello, John. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Surviving lockdown, enjoying this reinforced period of creative contemplation. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about this is that we're recording it in advance and the signs are that we may be starting to move into better times. So let's keep us fingers crossed and, and hope that we are. I'm actually talking to John Denton. He's a photographer, he's an educator, he's a studio owner, and um, he originated from Beverly, I do believe. Yes, spent many years living around Beverly area, around the York area, so North Yorkshire stroke, East Yorkshire lad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm a, a Yorkshire lad at heart, but I'm, I'm just on tour down in the Midlands at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and you've had an interest in photography from an early age, haven't you? I have. It's my grandfather's fault. Um, he used to teach art as therapy to children with special educational needs back in the 60s and 70s when it was all very, very new. So when his number one grandson came along, he must have thought, wow, my protégé has been born. But very quickly he realised I was an idiot and couldn't paint or draw to save my life. So he dragged me down to Argos in Pontefract and bought me a Practica SLR, which was just amazing. And I fell in love with photography right there and then. Yeah. I think it's interesting, actually. That quite a few people have said, well, I can't draw and I can't paint, so I got a camera. You know, I think I was much the same myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I used to have lessons with him at the kitchen table in his house. And I can remember him talking about vanishing points and composition points yeah. and light and look at a tree over the course of a day and see the way it changes. Of course, when you're six, seven years old, you think, oh, yeah, tree, hmm. But yeah. I wish I could have those conversations with him again now and really explore light the way he used to see it because that's everything, whether you're a painter or a photographer. I think you're sort of relating a lot of the experiences I had as a young boy, with, which was with my father. Um, and I've often said that I think that my father would love the studio experiences that we get now because, you know, it just wasn't available in those days like it is now, was it? No, no, we are incredibly fortunate. And I think this period of lockdown that we've just experienced, it reinforces that because it's so good to be able to get out, shoot with people, shoot with some of the technology we have available to us and to be able to have conversations like this with the technology that records these conversations. I think the whole thing with lockdown is that it's brought this technology to the fore. I mean, we're talking on Zoom now. I'd never heard of Zoom two months ago. Um, it really has brought things to a, to a head, really, hasn't it? Absolutely. And it, it means that you can still be part of the community. You know, I've spent a lot of time just recording little lessons to put onto YouTube and onto the blog, putting little instructional pieces out onto the blog. And it's great to get that feedback from people and be able to carry on conversations about our world, yeah. even though the main part of it, taking pictures of people, I can't actually do at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that I can manage to keep these going once we get back to whatever normality is. And a big part of that is actually getting people like you to come along and actually speak to me. But let's go back to you. Um, you had an interest in photography from an early age, but it wasn't something that you necessarily um, actively pursued at first, was it? It wasn't. No, I really couldn't see myself um, being in the creative world. 
Um, so I thought, okay, let's do the standard thing, go off and do A-levels, went off to university, got a degree, joined the police, which isn't a natural progression from getting a degree in mathematics, but <laughs> hey, you know, whatever pays the bills. What, what was the, I mean, what, what caused that route? You know, I mean, it is a bit of a strange thing from going and studying mathematics to going and joining the police force. It's funny because looking back, I can almost see the linkage in that mathematics is quite linear thinking. And I realised that I didn't like linear thinking. My mind tended to wander off in different directions and go a bit more fluffy and woolly. So that sort of rigorous scientific approach wasn't for me. I'd always had a desire to be in some sort of service. I'd explored the army, realised I didn't really like that. Um, and thought, OK, policing let's give that a go. It's doing something for the community around me. Um, very soon into that, I kind of realised, okay, there's a lot of hard-bitten old coppers here saying, oh, only 10 more years until I retire. <laughs> and I thought, if ever I get like those people, that'll be the death of me, inside and possibly out. And so I got to 15 years of service. I was doing a fantastic role within the service, um, but it just wasn't fulfilling me quite as much as I wanted. So in those early years, what, what were you doing? You said you were doing a, a fantastic role. But what specifically was it that did appeal to you then? Well, I started off down in Essex as a standard beat bobby. And that was all good fun, having fights with people in Harlow. Um, and then moved up to Hull and started fighting with people in Hull instead. <laughs> and finally, I managed to get a job on the helicopter unit, which was just fantastic. Um, and then I happened to get meningitis, which really laid me low. And it was recovering from that, I got my first little digital camera. Fell in love with the immediacy of digital photography. And as soon as I got back on the unit, I said, right, we've got to get really into this digital imaging because there's so much we can see from above. We can photograph, bring back to the um, lads and lasses on the ground, and they can put to good use. So we started working closely with Adobe um, in the earlier days of Photoshop. And I remember once we'd been looking for a car, and it was a particular car, and we really kind of knew it was hidden on a remote farm. And we couldn't get close to it. We couldn't get in to see it. So we'd flown a couple of times over this place and taken pictures. Couldn't see the car. The guy from Adobe came around and said, look, I've got this new uh, tool called Levels looking up. And he tweaked the levels. It brightened the shadows. And there was this car under an open-fronted barn that we just couldn't see with the naked eye. Crikey. And it was amazing. It was a revelation. I mean, this is interesting for me because you're talking about going in the helicopters and, and when you originally went in the helicopters, cameras weren't on the scene then? Not massively. Um, aerial photography had always been around, but there was a lot of wet photography, which yeah. of course is more, um, more time-consuming. So it was that immediacy, the fact that we could fly a job and within an hour the, the officer in the case would have the images on his, his, his desk. And I think and that this has become them. quite an important part of the police role with the helicopters, the, the immediacy. I mean, it really has made them very useful in the air, hasn't it? Incredibly so, incredibly so. And with the, you know, with the advent of drone technology now, um, aerial imaging is, is just vast because it saves so much on manpower and saves so much in putting people on the ground and potentially getting into danger. Yeah. So how long did you spend in the helicopters? Um, it was about five years, all told. Right. Ended up as the inspector on there, and so it was a good job. 
And I thought, no, I've still got this itch to scratch. There's more to life than this. I've got 15 years service, 15 years to go. And I really couldn't see myself doing the last 15. So the photography thing had really got under my skin. And I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it forever. And so we made the jump, metaphorically, and, and became a full-time photographer. And it, it was quite a jump, really, wasn't it? Because you, you did, from what I can gather from what we've discussed before, you didn't really think about it too deeply, did you? Knew that I wanted to do it. Um, knew that if I did it, it would have to be natural light photography on location because of the first instance of into a studio. Um, and I knew that I needed a nice camera and Photoshop, and that would probably do the job. Really? So no, I, I didn't. I wasn't grounded in the industry at all. I'd not done a million courses with different photographers. I didn't know any of the photographic societies by name or anything like that. But I knew it was something I wanted to do, and it was just that desire to create beauty and that absolute passion for for, for what I was doing. So initially, and, you left the police force. You didn't have the studio then. You you were just relying on natural light. How did you develop that into a into a business? By sheer cheek, looking back, really, and not taking no for an answer. I knew that I had a modest amount of talent. Um, I never argued to be the best photographer in any area, but I didn't want to be the best photographer in full. I always wanted to work on a national level. And so we just, right from the start, I marketed myself, branded myself as a national business. And I knew that I wanted a studio to have that cachet having a place. And we found a little studio up in the North Yorkshire Dales, right on the edge of Skipton. Beautiful place in an old water mill on the edge of a, a country estate. And they had a, a helicopter pad Lord of the Manor used. And so we used to use that in our advertising. And more people knew us as the photography studio with its own helicopter landing pad than anything else, <laughs> which straight away gave you that cachet of, wow, they must be good, they must be expensive because people in helicopters come. Did they help? Nobody ever landed on that pad. But <laughs> we, had, we had the access to it if it ever was needed. So, I mean, there is a lot to be said for clever marketing, really, isn't there? There is. But I think as long as you do it with integrity and you don't tell lies, yeah. um, it, it's good. And if, providing you can back that up then with your, your photographic talent and your service, then all's good. And so first time we ever went to the NEC and sourced uh, products to use, we made sure that their service echoed our values, and that's brought us into contact with some fantastic suppliers we still use to this day. Yeah. And, I mean, there was a little bit of thinking about basing the studio in Skipton, wasn't it? That it was a nice surrounding to be in anyway. Well, it was, and when you're starting to market on that national front, um, if I'd have said to people, perhaps come up to Hull for a, a pre-wedding photo shoot, I may have got a strange, a strange sort of look because Hull has its own reputation, very unfounded. It's a fantastic place. But if I said to people, come up to the Yorkshire Dales, darling, oh, super smashing lovely. People knew that, but watched James Herriot before they were on for a good experience before they'd even left home. So, yeah, it had its, it had its value and yeah. it, it really worked for us. So I know you're not still in the studio in Skipton. So how long did the studio last in Skipton? So we were there for about five, six years, all, all told. 
Um, it served its purpose. We then got another studio back over in East Yorkshire because by, by that time, my reputation had grown and I'd start to move more into the teaching side of things. I'd always wanted to be involved in teaching because that's something I'd always done throughout my policing career. Um, but until I knew what I was doing, then of course you can't really teach it. Yeah. Um, so the next studio we moved to was on a farm and that had access to fields and barns, and rustic buildings and all sorts of the type of stuff that makes a, for a great teaching experience. Yeah. when you can walk into a very grungy location and say, okay, ignore the dirt, ignore this cobwebs, ignore this, ignore that, look at the light, see the light. Okay, this is what we can do here. And, and that was just, for me, the greatest experience of being a teacher. Also for the students, you'd see light bulbs literally turn on in people's heads. That You so didn't need the vast rolling acres, you didn't need the manor house and the peacocks and the fountain in the background. If you could get the light, any location is good. Yeah. So before we move on to where you've moved to from there, then let's talk a little bit more about the teaching side of it and, and how you developed that and, and where you've gone to with it. Yeah, well, as I say, it's always been there that I wanted to do it, but it was a case of finding the, the structure uh, to build the teaching around. And whilst I was still working in the Dales, a local model came to me and said, John, no, would you like to take some pictures? Would you like to work together just to develop each other's skills? So we did a lot of that, and she was prancing around in wedding dresses and all sorts. And then she came to me and said, I've been asked to do some nudes. I'm not sure about it. Can we shoot some together and see how it goes? And I really couldn't imagine doing it. I couldn't get my head around it. I thought, oh, God, this will be so embarrassing. You know, I've known Catherine now. And how can I possibly, oh, no, this is going, oh, well, no. Um, and anyway, we did. And we managed. And it was wonderful. And it was the most amazing shoot I've ever done. Because I looked at her and said, are you okay? You're enjoying this? She says, it's amazing. I just have to flex my body and think about muscles and tensing and bending and twisting in different directions. How are you enjoying it? I says, it's amazing because I'm just looking at light in yes. skin. And once you can combine those and get a beautiful image, you can pose anybody. And it was such a revelation. After all these years of chasing wedding dresses around fields of daisies and trying to get them to look good, to literally just concentrate on the pose properly, it was an absolute revelation. And I think that sums it up, really, when you're talking about nude photography, because light is so important with nude photography, isn't it? And you really do have to think about what you're doing with the light. Absolutely. And it really makes you concentrate on where those highlights are, yeah. where those shadows are, where every single limb from the little finger to the leg to the head to the neck, the twist in the stomach, the twist in the... Oh, it, for me, it is the best genre of photography. And that then gave me the impetus to start using that in my training and, and push things further. Yeah. Because I think, and I'm strongly passionate about it, is that every photographer of people should do some nude photography at some stage yeah. because once you can pose somebody with nothing to hide behind you can rock a bride yeah. in a big white fruit. and i mean yeah there is a there is an obvious reason there why people shy away from it but yeah I'd, I'd echo what you're saying there that it really is a genre of photography that does make you think and and does make you concentrate on on what you're actually doing with photography yeah yeah, very much so. So I know that, you know, we've talked about the education part and you, you've got a YouTube channel, haven't you? 
Yes, that's something that I've started to develop really in the lockdown period. Right. Just put in little retouching videos on there. I'd always done a few behind the scenes type videos, which are always nice to see. Um, but that's great because it brings you into contact with so many more people. And it means that people, you know, who've been to my shows, whether it be in the States, you know, I'm fortunate that my photography has taken me all around the world um, as far as Taiwan and uh, going over to Las Vegas in the other direction. Yeah. And yet there's people there that I'm still in contact with and they can access now what we're doing. They can see what we're about and, and keep in contact and hopefully keep that learning experience going. Because yeah. for me, one of my first experiences as a photographer was walking into some of the local studios and saying, hello, I'm a photographer too. And getting such a bad reaction of, I'm telling you nothing, kid, because you're going to nick all my weddings. Yes. And I thought that was terrible. If there's anything I know, anybody wants to know, just ask me and I'll tell you. Because if we all grow, we all push each other forward, we all grow together, and the whole photography industry then becomes a better place. Yeah. And I just don't get this thing about not sharing. Blah. No, it's not my world. I mean, this, this is one of the things with the podcast that hopefully it gives everybody the opportunity to share, but also... It's something that we've always looked to do at the studio that I'm involved with as well. And we enjoy putting on the workshops and, and in our own sweet little way, we we try and share our experiences with other photographers as well. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. But you've I think it's on. wonderful. And again, it's technology bringing like-minded people together. They yeah. love it. But you've moved on now, or you've moved downwards, really, I suppose we could say. Oh, never, never did I think I'd become a Midlander honestly. And so life change happened about four years ago now, um, got divorced and moved down to um, East Midlands, to Stamford. And at the same time, a friend of mine said, well, I've got a studio in Birmingham I'm just putting together. Fancy working from there. So we did that for a year or so. And then the place flooded and we couldn't recover that place that was rented. And we were very fortunate. We are in a position to get our own premises. They've taken about 18 months to two years now to rebuild, literally gutted from top to bottom. Um, and we were just about getting ready to open when the lockdown happened. And it's all been in cold storage now for the best part of two months. So, so, the, so the studio's there, but it's not actually opened as such yet. That's right, yeah. We've got all these wonderful events planned. We've got a summer programme worked out of workshops. We're going to have a big opening party, but all that's on hold now because there's no point in pushing it. Until it's safe, a photograph just isn't worth that much. Yeah. And, you know, we've just got to wait it out and wait it out. Tell me a little bit about the new studio then. You know, what, is it natural light or is it not or is it dark, bright? Okay, well, it's a wonderful place, and I share it with Glenn Jones, who's my business partner and best mate. And it's a wonderful thing to you know to have a pal like that you can just bounce ideas off, have good shooting times with. And we've done this project now, say for the best part of two years, and we can't just wait for it to come to fruition. It was an old um, factory unit, and so it's on three floors. Uh, you go in on the bottom floor, straight upstairs, and there's a beautiful natural light studio on the middle floor and huge windows in there and the light is just exquisite in there it really is beautiful to shoot in and then upstairs we've got 
what's going to be our sort of models area and breakout room for the delegates when they're on a workshop. It's also got good windows and natural light. Not quite as good as the, the downstairs one. It's a bit harder to light up there. Um, and then we've got the middle floor also kitted out with Elinchrom lighting. So we can move that around on um, the grids on the roof. So we've got no light stands now clustering up the floor. And we've built a big white, art, um, white cove at one end of the studio. And that's why we call it the Arc Studio because as we were building that, the spars that make up the curve of the cove really just looked like the ribs of a boat. So it was raining at the time, so we, we built the ark, right. and, and that's where that one's come from. Yeah. So it really does cater for most photographic needs, then, with the variations in, in lighting that you've got available to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I love the, the teaching plan is that we can take people on a journey from basic natural light through to studio lighting by the end of a, you know, a, a 12 hour workshop. Yeah. They can come in with relatively little experience straight away. I'm teaching them to look for the best natural light, not get seduced by location, look for the light, look yeah. for the light, build that up. And then we can go into studio lighting and whether people are coming for an advanced course or a beginner's course or an intermediate sort of session, there's something for everybody. And I, I, I'm just so passionate about it. so excited. Um, these last two months have just been a sheer hell of not being able to get over there. I mean, that sounds really interesting to me, and I hope that you'll, once we do get back to some sort of normality again, I hope you'll come back to me and, and talk to me a little bit more about the studio and, and the way that you're moving forward. Um, but for now, and in conclusion, um, you have some sponsorships as well, don't you? Yes, I've mentioned Ellen Crumb before. We work closely with the guys in Girls Bear. Um, for me... The lighting is robust and rugged, and I'm quite well known for putting my kit through a good workout. And they always say if it can survive six months with me, then it'll last about 10 years in normal life. So I'm very fortunate to work with them. I also fell in love at an early age with printing my images, not just taking them, but printing them. And and I work with Permajet very closely. Um, Their papers and inks are just fantastic. And... We're also looking to partner up with Sim 2000 shortly to release a, a fine art collection, but more of that in the future. So there's some great companies around there. And I always say the, the test of any company is the test for me as a, a provider of services as well. Is not when things are going right, when things go wrong, which inevitably they do. And it's the support and the help and the, the love that you get coming back to you that makes all the difference. Yeah. And presumably the studio, you have a website for, do you? It's all on my website at the moment, johndentontraining.com, forward slash blog, if you want to look at everything that's happening there. Well, I And all the upcoming workshops are going to be on there and bits and pieces. But we're also on Facebook, and the ARC does have its own Facebook page as well. Right. Well, I'll add that at the end of the podcast anyway, so if anybody's interested in getting in touch with you, they can find all the details out from your website. Um, it's been really interesting talking to you and I hope that you will come back and and talk to me again when we've got perhaps a little bit more to talk about than what we've got to talk about at the moment so for the moment I'll say thanks ever so much John Denton and hopefully I'll see you again soon Absolutely, thanks for the opportunity Peter really enjoyed it, all the best with all your endeavours Thanks a lot, cheers